Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, Richard, a man of hidden talents. The talents are no longer so hidden, but it was good to see. Thank you, Richard, for your contribution. How big is our God? If you go to camp, yeah, he's huge. We need not be frightened. He's the one who cares for us. And just consider how big is our God as we read this morning. Our first reading is from Romans 1, verses 18 to 23. God's wrath against sinful humanity. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And now to praise God in Psalm 19, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Daryl, and good morning, everyone. My name's Mark. If we haven't met, I'm one of the ministers here at Trinity Church Modbury. It's great to, great to be with you all this morning. Uh, we recently ran a sermon series, you might have been here for it late last year, um, where we asked the question, what would make God worth believing in? And um, we tackled the most common answers that we got for that question. And the most common answer we got was that God would be worth believing in if 
he showed himself to us in, in some really obvious way. Um, so in other words, there, there are lots of people in our community, and, and this might include you, uh, who are prepared to believe in God, but they just don't think he's revealed himself in a clear enough way. Well, it's clear as we read Psalm 19 that David, who wrote this psalm, doesn't feel that way. He thinks that God has done more than enough to reveal himself. Uh, in particular, as he describes for us in this psalm, God has revealed himself both in creation and in his word. And what that means, he says to us, is that our response matters a lot. So we're going to unpack the psalm together and we'll see if David makes a compelling case for God revealing himself to us in this way. And not just that, but we'll see what it means for us in the here and now, reading these words 3,000 years after David first wrote them. Uh, So firstly, we see that God has revealed himself to us in creation. Uh, So we read in Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the handiwork of his hands. Hopefully this clicker works. Yep, there we go. (laughs) Um, So when David looks up, he sees God's glorious handiwork. The the skies tell him something about God in the same way that a beautiful painting reveals the skill and the taste of the artist. Uh, Day after day, they pour forth speech, he says in verse 2. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The sky can't talk in the same way that we do. And yet every day, David says, it preaches to us a sermon about who God is. Uh, So on a nice summer's day, the sky shows us something of God's glorious beauty. On a a thundery, stormy night, it, it shows us something of God's fearsome power. And, on a, and as we gaze at the stars on a, that are, we know are almost an infinite distance away from us, we, we, just, we grasp something of, of God's magnitude, just how awesome and, and beyond our understanding God is. Uh, the sun also speaks to us about who God is, David says. He tells us it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Uh, the sun has uh, a beauty to it. It's like a, a bit like a, a bridegroom, all shaved and, and ready to go for his wedding day. I'm trying to get a picture of the sun up here, but <laughs> clicker's click is not doing great for me. Um, in fact, the, it's a beauty that, that's too dazzling for us to directly look at. Um, The sun is is strong, it it gives us light, it gives us life, it gives us warmth, its warmth fills the earth. I I was hoping as I wrote this talk that we'd get a nice, warm, sunny day today to really illustrate my point, but we didn't didn't quite get that, but you know know what the sun looks like. Um, And so as we look at the sun, we, um, we, we see and we experience something of God's glory, his power, his provision, his all encompassing presence with us. Uh, what we see in the sky and the sun and, and indeed what we see in all of creation is it's just a hint of who God is. They're works of art that declare the glory 
and the skill of the artist, just as, as Stephen and Richard demonstrated so well in the, the all-ages spot earlier. And the more we understand of creation, from the, from the largest star in the universe to the, the tiniest little molecule, the more we grasp of God's glory. Uh, in our Romans reading that, that Daryl read, which was written a thousand years after the psalm was written, uh, we, we read the Apostle Paul declaring that, that God him, has made himself known to us in creation. So much so, in fact, that we're accountable for how we respond. Uh, we read there in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So like David in the psalm, Paul is, is telling us that the, the world and the universe around us, uh, they express God's power and his personality in, in a way that we ought to recognize and respond to. Now, as we observe and experience the natural world, it, it should provoke in us an awareness of a creator whose glory is reflected in this creation. Now, it should drive us to seek after this creator. Now, Paul is saying, if you've experienced the wonder of creation, you'll be held accountable to how you respond to it. So do you, ever, do you ever take time to gaze at creation, to gaze at the world around you and to behold God's, God's glory? Do you praise him for what he's created? Now, you might, you might be thinking, okay, God, God may have revealed something about himself in creation. He, he may not have. But, but how does that actually help us to know him? How does, it, how does it help us? How does it prove to me that God is good? How does it prove, how does it show me the way that God wants me to live my life? Uh, which brings us to the second point of Psalm 19, which is that God has revealed himself to us in his word. Uh, in verses 7 to 11, through the, the middle of the psalm there, David praises the, the beauty and the sufficiency of God's word. God's creation and, and God's word, they, they help us to better understand each other. So the sun and the, the sky and, and all of creation give us, if you like, a sensual knowledge of God's glory. But, it, but it's only as we pick up the Bible and read it that we, that we see God's glory in all of its character, all of its moral purity. His word helps us to understand what we see and experience in creation, and his creation helps us to, to, to feel and to, to sense what we read about him in his word. Uh, God's word or, or his law is perfect, David tells us. It's trustworthy, it's right, radiant, pure, firm. It makes the simple person wise. God's word gives joy to the heart. It gives light to the eyes. It refreshes the soul. We can tell as we read here that David is deeply impacted by the beauty and the power of God's word. And he tells us in verse 10 that God's words are more precious than gold. They are sweeter than honey. The God who created us, the God who created everything, who holds the very universe in his hands. This God has revealed himself to us. He's called us into relationship with him. 
what could be more precious or sweet than that? Verse 11, David says, By them, by your words, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So God's word offers us both warning and reward. It shows us who God is. It shows us what God has done for us. It shows us what it looks like for us to to live a life that's pleasing to him. But it also warns us of the danger and the consequences of rejecting him or drifting away from him. Uh, Now, when David talks about God's law, his his statutes, his his precepts, he's talking about the word of God that was available to him at that time, which which was probably only the first five books of our modern-day Bibles. Um, But even in those books, God has revealed himself to us, and he's revealed so much about himself. We we see his creation of the universe. We, We see the awesome promises he makes to people. We see his mighty power in rescuing his people from slavery. We see his presence with his people. And and we see the laws that he gives to us that that show something of his perfect character to us. And we're also faced with the reality of sin as well. And the the choice that we have between living for the the God who created us or rejecting him and, and doing things our way instead. But for us today, we have so much more of the story than even David did as he wrote this psalm. Because we can see how the story has played out. We can see the problem of human sin so much more than David can. Because we read about how David's descendants, the the kings on the throne of Israel after David, got it so badly wrong. We read about how all of Israel got it so badly wrong as they tried to follow God. And we can see thousands of years of human history where where people have continued to get it wrong. And yet we can also see the faithfulness and the gracious love of God in sending his own son Jesus to die for us, to die for our sin. And the mighty power of God in raising Jesus back to life. And the certain promise we have from God that Jesus is going to return one day and he's going to make things right once and for all. God's word shows us not only his awesome holiness, but also his amazing love for us. So God's word is is precious and it's sweet because it warns us not to ignore God and it points us to the ultimate reward that he offers. Now, maybe you're here this morning and the Bible is a bit of a mystery to you. We read in this psalm that it's meant to be precious, it's meant to be sweet, but, but it just seems really confusing as you think about it or as you try to read it. Well, my encouragement would be to, to start off by having a go at reading one of the gospel accounts uh, of Jesus' life that we, that we find at the start of the New Testament, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And perhaps you, you could read it on your own or, or you could read it with someone, someone you know and trust who, who can help with questions that come up for you. Have a read and and see what you think about Jesus. Because the whole Bible, in one way or another, is about Jesus. It fits together to to point us to him, to show us who he is, why we need him, why he's so great. Uh, For me personally, I um, I became a Christian at the age of 19. And and as I sort of worked out my my faith journey from that point on... um, one of the big things that's, that's made me 
more and more certain that uh, God is real and, and that Christianity is true is the Bible. Uh, it's a book that's written over a period of over 1,500 years uh, by 40 different authors at least in three different languages. Uh, there's at least half a dozen different genres in it. It should be the most incohesive piece of literature ever written. It should not make any sense whatsoever. And yet, as we, as we come to read and understand it, we see how it fits together perfectly to point us to Jesus, who is the ultimate revelation of God. So God has revealed himself to us in creation. He's revealed himself to us by his word in showing us Jesus. And we need to respond to his revelation. Uh, and we see how David responds in verses 12 to 14. As he encounters God in, in creation, as he encounters God in his word, it drives him to prayer. Who can discern their own errors, David asks. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Now, we can see here that the, the purity of God's word really cuts David to the heart. Who can stand before such a perfect God, David asks. A couple of years ago, a friend of Alicia, my wife, and I invited us to her birthday party. She was having a, a um, bonfire birthday party, and, and she said, oh, look, don't, don't dress up at all. Just, just wear really old, daggy clothes. We'll have a bonfire. Uh, I made the mistake of listening to her, so I rocked up to, to this party just wearing trackies, sneakers, and old, old flanny jackets, sort of outfit you'd, you'd, barely, you'd barely be feel right just sitting home watching the footy on your own in it. But I, I rocked up there, and we get there, and, and the bonfire is just this tiny little fire right on the corner of the site. No one else is anywhere near it. Everyone else is dressed in absolutely perfect clothing. The girls are wearing dresses. The guys are wearing chinos and iron shirts and boat shoes without socks on and all, all that kind of thing. And, and I'm rocking up in track pants and a flanny jacket. And I stood out like a sore thumb, right? My, my shabbiness had nowhere whatsoever to hide. I'm, I'd show you a photo, but I don't think I could, <laughs> don't think I could bring myself to do that. Uh, God's word in its purity does, does exactly the same thing to David. It exposes his sin. Uh, it exposes our sin. As well, it, it exposes our willful sin, those areas of my life uh, that, that I know don't line up with the way that God is calling me to live. And it makes us mindful of our hidden faults as well, um, those things that, that I do wrong without even realizing it, without even thinking about it. And David pleads to God, please, God, guard me from that kind of willful and defiant sin that I know is wrong. But forgive me as well of those, those subtle forms of sin, those ones that slip under the radar of my conscience. And then, David says, then I'll be blameless and innocent. And the beauty of the gospel message is that God answers this prayer. Now, through Jesus, we, we can and we will one day stand before God, forgiven, blameless and innocent if our trust is in him. Because Jesus took our sin on himself. And so God's word, it, it's a devastating mirror to our sin. It, it shows us how, how far we fall short. 
But even more than that, it's a wonderful revelation of God's grace. And as David beholds God's glory, his, his desire to, is to please him in every way in his life. He finishes off the psalm by praying, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's a great prayer to pray. Um, so there you have it. God has revealed himself to us in creation. He's revealed himself to us in his word. And our, our right response to this is to turn from our sin and to live for him. And the power to do that comes from the Spirit of God working in us through the Word of God. And so can I encourage everyone here, as, as 2023 kicks into gear, as we get into a new year, to make this a year when, where you are deep in God's Word. Do you believe that the Bible is the most valuable thing that you own? If, if you've got a Bible, do you, do you believe that? Uh, Alicia and I got our wills drawn up late last year. It's a bit of a, bit of a morbid process, but just sort of thing that you have to do. And um, as part of it, the lawyer was asking us, what, what are the most valuable assets that you have? What are the, what are the most valuable possessions that you have? And it was a, it was a fairly short conversation, but I, I did think to myself afterwards, you know, I've, I've got a book that reveals the one true God and, and shows the way to eternal life. In fact, I've got a handful of those books at home. Now, now obviously, the retail value doesn't affect it because you can buy a Bible for about $5. But, but what we have in God's Word is of greater value than all of the cars and all of the houses in the world combined. Do you believe that? And if you do, are you giving God's Word the, the position of ultimate influence in your life? Because whether we realize it or not, we have, we have lots of voices around us that are, that are speaking into our life, telling us what, how we should live, telling us what we should value. Is the Bible the one that you're taking your lead from the most? Is it shaping your decisions? Is it shaping your priorities in life? When you think about the, the big decisions that you made last year, the, the big decisions that you've got this year, um, who to vote for, what school to send the kids to, how to, how to spend our money, th those sort of questions. Is the Bible having an influence on how those decisions are made? And is reading the Bible the most important thing that you do each day? Um, that's the kind of discipline that comes from knowing that, that God's word is precious and sweet, even when it doesn't feel that way all the time. Because my guess is that for, for most, if not all of us, the Bible reading, our Bible reading experience is generally a lot drier than what David describes here. You know, there might be days where we, where we read the Bible and it really hits us between the eyes with, with something that's relevant in our life at that time. But often it doesn't seem that way, does it? Um, it, can, it can feel sometimes like we're, we're going through the motions. And I think what can really help with this tension is thinking about Bible reading with the long game in mind. Because the picture that we get of David throughout the Bible isn't of someone who just picked up his Bible every now and then and had a read when he wanted a bit of inspiration. He was soaked in it. He was living in God's Word. And the more time he spent in God's Word, the more time he saw its beauty, the, the more he came to see God's beauty. Now, reading the Bible might seem like it has more of an impact some, some days than other days, but, but across a year, 
or 10 years, it's going to make a big difference. It's a little bit like eating food. I've eaten some memorable meals in the past year. I can't remember most of the meals that I've eaten, but but hey, I'm alive, right? The the food has done its job. It's, It's nourished and sustained me. And God's word does the same thing in our hearts, day after day, week after week, year after year. In fact, I think there's something really special about talking to someone who's, who's been following Jesus for 50, 60, 70 years, some, someone who's really lived in the Bible and just seeing how God's word shapes every way that they view the world. Um, so as we open our Bibles this year, let's do it knowing that these are the words of God. The God who created everything in the universe. The God who loves and dwells with his people. That this part of God's word that I'm reading today is it's an important part of the awesome rescue plan that he's revealed to us. So let, let's come to his word expecting that, that he's going to speak to us through it. That there's something important for us to know, to believe, to be encouraged or, or challenged by as we read it. Expecting that as we continue to, to soak ourselves deep in his word, that, that it's going to become sweeter. It's going to become more and more precious for us. So how can you prioritize that time in God's word this year? How, how can you really make the most of that time? How can you take things to the next level? What can you do each day or each week that can help you to go deeper into God's word across the course of the year? Um, if you're not currently in the regular habit of reading the Bible, is there a way that you can build it into the routine of your life? Uh, maybe on the drive to work, on audio, maybe over breakfast, maybe getting up earlier in the morning or staying up later at night. Can you start with, with just a small platform to, to build off as the year goes on? Uh, perhaps you find yourself getting into box-ticking mode when you read the Bible, going, going through the motions a little bit. You, you want it to be a, a deep passion that you have, but it, but it feels more like an obligation. Maybe there's a way to shake it up in some way. Perhaps um, make it a habit to come away from each reading with a, with a clear next step, with one key takeaway point from what you've read that, that, you, that you might share with someone else. Or maybe you find the Bible just hard to understand, hard to get into. Maybe you can try reading it alongside a, a devotional book uh, to, to help you grasp it a bit better. Or maybe catch up with someone one-to-one, maybe once a week or once a fortnight to, to read through it together. And of course, as our community groups here at Modbury kick off in a couple of weeks' time, it would be great to, to be part of one of those and to be getting into God's Word week after week together with a, with a group of people. It's a really great way to not only get into God's word, but to, to get to know and to love and care for one another even better. Uh, my hope and my prayer is that, that all of us have delight this year, delight in soaking ourselves in God's word and seeing more and more clearly each day, each week, each year, just how precious it is. And that like David, we would behold God's glory in his word, that we would behold his glory in all of creation as we see it around us. And that as we, we take in just how, how awesome and how loving and gracious God is, that our heartfelt desire would be to live lives that are pleasing in his sight. 
So let me pray that that would be us this year. Our loving and powerful God, our rock and our redeemer, we praise you for your glory, which the heavens declare and which your word reveals. We ask that you would show us the preciousness and the sweetness of your word as we soak ourselves in it. As we behold your glory, pleased with the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.